Here we go! Welcome to the Nintendo Power Zone. We are a video cast slash podcast dedicated to bringing you the best Nintendo-related topics. As always, guys, I'm your host, Nice1983, and joining me are Brendan, a.k.a. Blues, and Jaden Winsong. And JB might be joining us today. We're having a little bit of technical issues on his side, so he's most likely going to pop in somewhere during the middle of this conversation, so not a big deal. But guys, it's time to go ahead and let me, let's, let's talk about our topic of the month real quick. In 1996, a collaboration between two video game giants, Nintendo and Squaresoft, now called Square Enix, led to an unlikely video game called Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven, Legend of the Seven Stars, a turn-based RPG with a Mario twist. The game went on to be a critical success and the perfect swan song for the Super NES, as it was the last game released for the console. A decade later, developer Ubisoft released a pseudo-sequel to its beloved Rayman series, on the Nintendo we called Rayman Raven Rabbids. Alliteration aside, the game first introduced Ubisoft's newest characters, the Rabbids. While not a critical success, the game did do well enough to spawn a sequel, and the Rabbids proved popular enough to spin off into their own franchise, deserting Rayman. History is important. History has shown us that Nintendo is very open to collaboration under the right circumstances. Mario RPG proves that. Yet, when the leaks started to trickle about a possible collaboration between Nintendo's Mario and Ubisoft's Rabbids, the world collectively rubbed it off like it was dirt on their shoulders. On May 23rd, an internal leak at Ubisoft revealed some official key art for the collaboration, and the gaming universe shat on it. This is a dumb idea. Why is this happening? Rabbids are stupid! Nintendo was desperate, and on and on it went, until June 12th, 2017 during Ubisoft's E3 press conference when the game would officially be unveiled to the world, Ubisoft had so much confidence in the game that they opened the show with it, and then the unthinkable happened. Shigeru Miyamoto came out on stage with a blaster cannon on his arm and gave the game his stamp of approval. On today's episode, we are going to deep dive Mario Plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battles. We're going to talk all about the story, the graphics, the music, the gameplay, but first, we have to talk about something that's really important to the Nintendo Power Zone as a podcast as a whole. This episode officially marks our two-year anniversary. This is a huge, huge milestone for the podcast. Um, I cannot stress how hard it is for a podcast to reach its second year. It is very, very difficult to to get past the the dreaded seven, which are the first seven episodes. And this is our 52nd episode. I know we're a monthly show. Somehow we have 52 episodes. Don't worry about the math, ladies and gentlemen. We got here. Um, But what's important is I have a new podcasting staff, the Game Masters Council. That includes, you know, Brendan, uh, Jaden, and JB, you know, and I feel like they joined the show during a really, really weird time, but I'm really happy to have them here. So I'm going to have them speak on how they feel about joining the show at such a weird and pivotal moment. So guys, welcome to the show, and who wants to go first? Um, I guess I could go first. Um, so for me, it was especially crazy because I had uh, my girlfriend for two years... Uh, who was dating me during my interview with you, um, nice one, had dumped me right when I got the actual gig. Oh. But then also, so, so that was a big change. Like One week, I'm having this great time 
with her. I'm interviewing podcast next week. She's gone two years completely just changed that. But then also I got, um, I, I was getting a new apartment. The new school semester was starting. Uh, and so all these big changes weren't really happening with the show, but happening with me. Um, and so it made just things a rush of, of things that I had to take care of. Um, but a, as a podcast, you know, I, I really wanted to get into this. I, I just dropped out of art school wanting to pursue broadcasting, um, broadcast journalism. So, so being able to get on a, a pre-existing podcast uh, that was established and in, in a sense was already there for me to just have that opportunity was too good to not pass up for my own experience and for my love of talking about gaming. Um, so in terms of just me, it was, it was very big changes all happening, starting a podcast. Everything had gone topsy-turvy in my life. Um, but I, I'm super glad that I had this opportunity. I love talking with you guys. The show is one of my favorite things to just have. Um, and it's really cool. Um, in terms of, of looking forward into the year, I think we have a great lineup of what we have planned out. Um, this two-year anniversary looks like it's going to be a great episode. Um, Mario Rabbids Deep Dive. Um, super cool game. Super cool. Um, but in, in terms of the show itself, I, I think... This metamorphosis that we're going through with the Game Masters Council is really positive. We have great cast with you, Nice One, JB, Jaden, and I think uh, we have a great crew. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, man. You see, and you know, honestly, we didn't know about all the you know life alterations that were happening behind the scenes. And sorry to hear that, man. But no, no, no it's fine. Like you know, I, I have it made. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, if this is something that's going to help you. Uh, you know, just move forward in your life because mm-hmm. sometimes that's what we need. Sometimes we need a distraction, and there's sometimes there can be no better distraction than <laughs> doing what you love and one yeah, pursuit. Right? Talking video yeah. games and you know doing yeah. this. Like, yeah. Trust me, like I I do this so much that it really takes up a fair share of my time, uh, and it really helps when I'm pissed off at my fiance to get on here and shoot some kind of video. Uh, not that she pisses me off too often, but in those moments, it's always nice to get on the show and do something like that. But yeah, I mean, like I said, you guys joined at a really, really weird and pivotal time. So yeah, it makes it, 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 it's weird because it's like, how do you necessarily like, um, like how do you get into a podcast at this juncture and have these like issues where it's like, you don't know a lot of the history of how the show started. Mm-hmm. You don't know, like, like you guys still haven't met Mario after party. I'm gonna rectify that really soon. At one of these days, um, mm-hmm. you guys, you guys are jumping in, and it's a weird time to be jumping in. But honestly, it's kind of the perfect time because honestly, the show needed to be refreshed. Not mm-hmm. because we were stale, but because this is how podcasts stay fresh in in general by you know having new staff members having mm-hmm. you know all these new and changing things happen hey, and that's not a bad thing at all so yes. glad you guys are here uh guys welcome jay brilliant to the show you made mm-hmm. it yep so <laughs> jb we are talking about what it's like to have joined the podcast like right before the two-year anniversary and like how weird is that and what are your general thoughts on on like doing a pre-established podcast, but doing it 
so close to such a pivotal moment in our history. It's interesting because I was reading a thing about the uh, two-year anniversary and how you're so proud it's been so, like, you know, um, it's been two years, and I'm just like, wow, two years. I have no idea what this means. Because, <laughs> like you said, we just joined in, so I'm not sure how to feel about it, but I'm glad to be part of something that's so big. Like, uh, you guys have done 47 episodes, and I'm just like, I didn't realize that until you wrote that. And I was like, wow, 47 episodes, this guy's really, you know, pushed it. So we're doing something really big. So it's kind of overwhelming, because I think about, like, what I want to bring to the podcast, and then I start to think, like, I really got to step my game up, because, you know, we want to make this big. And that's pretty much how I feel right now, is I really want to do more and try harder make this a really fun experience for everyone. No, I 100% agree. And honestly, I think when we started the podcast, it filled a little bit of a selfish need to express our weird opinions on on video games, more specifically Pokemon Go at the time, which that was our first episode. We literally found out about Pokemon Go, you know, got as much information as we could. And then the next week we decided, hey, let's record an episode about Pokemon Go and Weird, but you're right. Like, 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 you know, I said it. You said it. I, the importance of it. I didn't. I didn't know how lost it could possibly be on you guys to have you join so early. But that being said, the work you guys have done behind the scenes, like obviously you with the live streams, Brendan with the logo, and and Jaden with like also live streaming, but also you know coming in there with with knowledge and the leadership qualities to say when I was gone to say we should record something. That, that that all of those things have made me extraordinarily proud that you guys are here right now for this second anniversary show. So the only person we haven't heard from is Jaden. So Jaden, how do you feel about being on the show right here, right now for our two-year? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You say that it's a very weird time, and I don't feel that at all. I think it's a perfect time. A lot of people have been saying podcasts are dead because the podcast format has changed a bit, but I honestly think that right now, in, in, in formats like podcasts and uh, YouTube and Twitch, we're at a really pivotal moment where we may see the entire industry change completely with the advent of things like Patreon, you know what I mean? And um, things like that. It'll be very interesting to see how uh, those sorts of funding and... Um, and, and especially with YouTube, uh, with the um, YouTube apocalypse, right? I don't know if, if any of you guys have heard of that, uh, but we're going to see some very interesting, possibly paradigm-shifting changes in medium coming up in, in, in the near future, and that that is going to be interesting. So, so getting into the podcast now, you know, I, <laughs> the goal is, at least from my perspective, is to to build up and persevere and get through the the potential coming apocalypse so that we could be one of those guys on top uh, in in the new future of uh, the new landscape of, of, of podcasting. You know what I mean? No, of course it, you're right. Like the apocalypse took a big hit to a lot of uh, more popular YouTubers. <clears throat> uh, they started losing ad revenue. They started losing sponsorships, they started losing a lot just because YouTube's guidelines changed so strictly. Actually, after you guys joined, I, we got hit with our first ever sponsorship uh, denial. Uh, <laughs> the first episode we did together was actually hit with one of those uh, 
may not be suitable for advertisements, and I actually had to appeal that, and we won the appeal. Oh, good. But, yeah, I mean, we are labeled as explicit. It wasn't, you know, any advertiser who wanted to join or who wanted their stuff to be on our show, they were duly noted that if they're advertised play on our videos, that this is an explicit channel. So, of course, I appealed that virtually instantly. So, and I don't know how many other YouTubers appeal and win, but you're right. There is going to be a paradigm shift because a lot of these YouTubers, you know, they host show formats uh, like Jaywitz and uh, H3H3, who I'm not a huge fan of, but, you know, they're pretty popular. I wouldn't be surprised to see them moving away from the video format and moving into an audio format just because their content could survive by making that switch. Um, but that's a good point, one that I ha actually hadn't thought about. So, guys, if you're just listening to the show from this moment, which is weird, uh, it's our two-year anniversary, September 21st, 2015. We are recording on the 25th uh, because the last few days I've spent recording interviews with the following people. We got Marlo After Party back to intro the show uh, just so he could reflect on his time on the podcast, the 47 episodes that he recorded with me. Uh, we have the Nintendo Power Couple, uh, the official Nintendo brand ambassadors, who they're great people, and I, I venture to say that the time we spent recording, we, we built a bridge with, with each other and fostered a friendship, and I can see us collaborating with them in the near future just because of the good time that we had, and they were open to as much as you're going to hear uh, in the interview that I did with them. And then finally, I spoke with KC uh, of the Switchcast, uh, right now the most popular Nintendo podcast on iTunes. Uh, they're up there on YouTube as well. Uh, I've been listening to KC podcast since 2007. Uh, the guy has a decade worth of experience. Uh, he is unmatched. And he was podcasting before it was actually called podcasting. Like that's how far back he goes and having him on the show meant a lot to me personally because it was like recognition from somebody who I think had the he it's recognition from somebody who I, I admired as a podcaster but it's also recognition from somebody who is now someone I would consider a peer and yeah, he was what? since 2006 I think he said yeah he was podcasting yeah I didn't realize how big he was until I was there recording, I was listening to him like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, no, you're fine, you're fine, the perfect, no, yeah, that's right, you, you, Jay hosted that conversation as I was away from my home computer, I could not do that interview from my, uh, my, my standard office, I had to do that in a, in an apartment, it's a really nice apartment though, let's not get it twisted, it's a very nice apartment, and, uh, I had the nice setup with the, you know, Nintendo Power logo, behind me on a, you know, 65-inch TV, which is badass, because that was, like, my sports center moment. I was like, oh, snap, it's like I'm on Sports Center because there's a big-ass logo right behind me. I was like, that's exactly what I want for the show. I want to get my office set up to, to do something like that, you know, personally. I, I thoroughly enjoy that. No, but having Casey on the show was recognition, you know, from someone who, is now, who I would now consider a peer. And, again, it was one of those moments where I think he would be definitely open to collaboration uh, in the near future. Uh, 
Uh, I'm not going to spoil the end of the interview, but I know the end of the the interviews for both the Nintendo Power Couple and uh, KC had uh, Jay Brilliant excited, and he's going to have to brush up on his uh, Pokemon tournament. But yeah, oh, yes. so let's go ahead and transition because uh, we're gonna we got we got a lot to cover today. So I think it's important that we talk about what we're playing. So obviously we're gonna move into the what are we playing section. So I don't think I've ever had this many games to play in my life at once uh, because I've obviously been uh, re I've been playing Mario Plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle almost nonstop. But in the moments that I'm not. I've been doing a lot of Splatoon 2 Salmon Run, uh, a little bit of Street Fighter, a little bit of ARMS, especially after the update. Uh, but on Friday, Pokemon Tournament came out, and I'm all about that game right now, man. I like the improvements a lot. I like the portability of the game. And uh, there's going to be a deeper review coming soon, uh, probably by this Friday. I'm going to do another video review for that game. Uh, I'm probably going to do it as an addendum to the original video review I did for the original Pokemon Tournament. Uh, I, I believe I gave that game at 8.4 uh, when it first launched. Uh, did I give it a higher, do I give it a higher score this time? You're just going to have to come to the channel on Friday and find out. Uh, but guys, what are you playing? Who wants to go first? Um, so I've been playing Pokemon as well. Um, it's only been a few days, but my Sceptile is still as good as ever, so I'm really hyped about that. Um, but I've been doing a lot more social gaming, too. I've been taking my Switch to people's houses. Um, there was a house part, housewarming party I went to, um, yeah, fr Friday, yeah, Friday. Um, and I'm like, okay, we gotta play Pokemon, it just came out. So I bring in Pokemon, we set it all up, and everyone's having a good time with the 1v1s, and, like, more people wanted to join, so we switched over to ARMS and Mario Kart for a little bit. And then we got a little 1-2 Switch in there at the end, so it was a lot of fun. Um, so I've been doing a lot of social gaming, a lot of Pokemon, sort of what I've been messing around with. Um, so yeah. No, I'm surprised I'm not playing an RPG. I usually like playing things competitively online and like on the side going deep into an RPG, but just a lot of social gaming and, and whatnot. So yeah. Hold on, hold on. I got I gotta add an addendum. So I've also been playing Octopath Traveler, but you just reminded me that uh Hurricane Irma obviously came to Tampa, so I mm -hmm. bunkered down with my family. You know, I had my fiance, my mom, my dad, my brother, and his wife and their daughter. You know, mm -hmm. we were all just sitting in the living room because obviously the hurricane was so important that it preempted football, mm. which actually upset me because I'm like, there's a Cowboys game on right now. Should be watching that. Yeah. yeah. So we broke out one hey, two. <laughs> we broke out one two switch, and. Um, my whole family played 1-2-Switch, and it was funny watching my parents play the, uh, the, 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 the minigame where you have to break into the safe. Safe cracker minigame. Oh, yeah. My dad was so mad that he could not beat me, and he wouldn't let me stop playing. He would not let me stop playing. My dad is 57 years old, and He's he... He's competitive about breaking that safe, man. Oh, yeah. He has to win. He never beat me, though. He never beat me, but he he got pretty good. He would get, you know, he'd always get the first one before me, but then mm -hmm. I'd get the first one and the second one, and this was just a lot of fun to just, uh, it's been a long time since I played a video game with my dad, so, mm -hmm. uh, probably since I was little, little, so mm -hmm. that was actually a pretty funny moment watching my dad uh, attempt to, to beat me at a game. 
I've been playing a lot of Mario Plus Rabbids for the live stream, and honestly, that's been the only thing I have been playing recently. I have yet to get my copy of Pokémon yet, and I am dying to get it so much, because that is going to eat into a lot of my time once I pick it up. Uh, no. I really applaud you for the amount of streaming you've done. You went, like, damn near seven hours on day one. Day one is, yep. like, six hours, 56 minutes. <laughs> Like, I got up from that, and I was just like, oh, I can feel this. Oh, but it's commitment. That is the pain. <laughs> it was funny, though, you know, because I was obviously there during the stream. I was watching, uh, interacting. It was it was funny because I, would, when I, I had gotten much... I would, by that point, I was on the second world and nearing the end of it. So watching you start it from, from scratch was like, oh, I wonder how they're going to tackle these issues. And I'm like... Fun. I was like, oh, he's made the game super hard for himself. He did not do the pixel pack. He just left that. No, 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 because no, I was just, usually stuff like that that comes with it, I'm just like, I don't really care about that because I like to play games on medium mode. And from my experience, the free stuff you get is made to make the game easy. I don't like that. <laughs> I want to see what the game has for me. That's how you learn. That's how you get better. See, I'm not that type of gamer. When we're doing, uh... <clears throat> When we're doing deep ass like this uh, on such a on a, such a time crunch, I need to beat that game as soon as possible. Yeah, that, that's so true. I had to make that game as easy as possible. So I didn't try to perfect anything after the first world. I didn't, which you know my brother's giving me a lot of crap for because he's also playing the game. And he's like, "Oh, I'm still on world. I'm only on world two eight because I perfect every stage. I won't leave." I was like, "Shut up." Yeah, <laughs> that's that's just how you enjoy it, though. Like. The reason I'm, I think I just got to World 3 after the last stream. Like, I've only been playing it when I stream, because I like to, like, when I do a stream, it's progression. I don't want people to miss out on it. But at the same no. time, I enjoy perfecting and finding every little thing along the way. And that's just, like, how I enjoy the game. So how you see me playing it is how I enjoy my gaming experiences with games like that. No, but it's, it, it was, it was uh, really appreciated that you've done the stream. It's, um, it's made a huge, huge uh, difference. Plus... Lots of footage that we're going to be editing into this specific episode. I am so out of frame. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, footage that we're going to add to this episode that I think is going to just fit in really nice. Uh, <clears throat> and both you and Jaden did a really good job on your streams. And I, like I said, people are going to watch this video, and they're, for the first time ever, we're going to have like our own footage. You know, We're not using trailers or stock footage of a game. We're yes. showcasing gameplay that this team uh, put forth. Alright, so Jaden, what have you been playing lately, brother? Well, uh, I've actually had this really bad habit of juggling multiple games at the same time, which is why it takes me forever to, to play through things. It's, uh, it's a bad habit I have, and I need to break it. Uh, <laughs> but right now, I'm playing through, um, on the Switch, uh, I'm playing through Rabbids, uh, and... I'm trying to finish it up for Friday because uh, I need to Xenoverse Xenoverse Two launched on on the Switch, and I, uh, I I really love that game, so I'm gonna play it through again on the Switch. Uh, so 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 hopefully I'll have Rabbids finished by then. Um, on the 3DS, I'm playing through Monster Hunter Stories, which is a lot of fun. Surprisingly, um, a big Monster Hunter fan. And so I figured I'd try this new format out with that particular game. And, uh, needless to say, I've been very pleasantly 
Lewis. I'm hoping to finish that up by the end of the week, too, so I can start Metroid. And on the PC, I'm playing Final Fantasy XIV because I need the I need to scratch that MMO itch every at least once a week. And um, Total War Warhammer because that that game's it, it, don't play it. It's addicting. It'll just you'll start it at, at 5 p.m. and all of a sudden it'll be 5 a.m. the next day and you're like, where the hell? Why, why is the sun up? So. <laughs> Um, that, that's it. A lot of stuff, and uh, there's not enough hours in the day to, to, to finish everything. Uh, so I mean, that's, that's the way Definitely it is. Definitely not. That's just a lot of games. Like, there, I think between you know the four of us, we just listed off like ten games. That's a lot of games. Oh yeah. Let me tell you, Must Run Your Stories is not a necessarily short game either. That's a, it's a JRPG developed by Capcom, and uh, God. They, um, uh, it's probably a 40-hour game. So, I mean, between that and ra- and rabbits, depending on how you want to progress through that, like, I'm only halfway through the game right now, and I've probably put, in, shoot, 20 hours? Uh, mostly because it's the, um, 20, 30, probably 30 hours, but I have that perfectionist thing. I gotta go back and perfect things, or else it drives me nuts. Yep. I hear you. So, uh, yeah, getting through all these games at the same time is the worst. It's it's really bad. <laughs> I can't play that many games at once. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna break up a game with another game, it's mostly a game that I can uh, pick up and play. Uh, so mo- most of the time, it's gonna be a fighting game. Uh, I really went went hard on Street Fighter again for a while. Ultra Street Fighter Two, just because it's it's a really good game for the uh, the the Switch. Oh, by the way, just a quick little update. Not a, not something we can spend too much time on, but Street Fighter Ultra Street Fighter Two sold more on the Switch in its first week than Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite sold across all platforms. That's funny. That is weird. That is I'm weird. Honestly, surprised. Infinite has been getting wrecked, just smeared, absolutely. With uh, so I mean. Uh, a lot of it, I think, it had to do with the art direction. People were not happy with it. And so when they announced that they were changing it, I think it was just a case of too little, too late. Well, the the, the FGC is so finicky. I mean, there's a lot of other issues with uh, MVCI that are... I don't know. They, they, they kept me away from the game. And, I mean, I still intend to buy it, but, I mean, it came out the same week as Pokémon, so I just... I decided to get Pokin over it. Um, the 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 simplified control schemes that they added were now you can butt damn you can butt mash and uh, and you can get combos off. That takes away a lot of the the skill element from a game like MVCI. Uh, so I, I know a lot of people were you know complaining about that. Obviously the art direction, which I didn't actually think was that bad. I I mean. I mean, it's not the worst, but it's, you know, definitely not as pretty as it was on the, you know, during the PS3 era, but... Oh, yeah. You have to... At some point, they have to make the game functional. When you're only looking at a character on a 2D plane, do they have to look... Do the do the 3D models of the character have to look that good? I don't... I, personally, I don't, I don't believe so. I mean, as long as the gameplay is solid, but like I just said, there are issues with the gameplay itself, so... I mean, that being said, I don't think it's. I still don't think it's a bad game. I mean, it's obviously the game that is the FGC is gonna have to embrace. 
just because of how aged uh, Marvel vs. Capcom and Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 are. You, you know, you gotta put those games down. You gotta give way to the, uh, the newer games, or you end up like the Smash community segmented. Oh, yeah. And the Smash community has been pretty segmented because you have a group of people that either play Melee or they play Smash 4. There's no one definitive Smash game that that uh, rules the FGC as far as this is the primary game. Although Smash 4 does get more, is getting larger, you know, player numbers, but I could see the same segmentation happening with Marvel if more people don't just stop complaining and get on board, but neither here nor there. I just thought that was an interesting fact that the Switch version of Ultra Street Fighter 2 could outpace, you know, you know, a 20-year-old, you know, 25-year-old game outpacing, you know, a game that's been out like a week kind of shocking news. Yeah, I think a lot of people have also been um, more hyped for fighters, BB fighters, uh, as well. Yeah. So, uh, I know I've seen a lot of smearing memes comparing uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite to fighters, and uh, from from what I can gauge, uh, from what I've seen in, in forums and such, uh, there, was, there was a lot of positive hype for fighters, a lot of negative hype for Infinite. So I wonder if that's a factor, too. Well, I just wonder if it's the uh, the characters that are more interesting. At this point, we've seen the Marvel vs. Capcom crossover four times. I, mm. I wonder if, it's, if, if that's factoring in. And we haven't really had, like, a real Dragon Ball Z fighter. We've had, like, those, like, arena battle games, but... for Especially for a long time, but we haven't had, like, a traditional 2D Dragon Ball fighter since, like, the PS2 era, and... That was like Dragon Ball Butu Dragon Ball Butuden one, <laughs> and then yeah, they, yeah. then they kind of shifted to that more arena style after that game. So it's interesting to see them go back to a more traditional fighter. Plus, obviously, it takes a lot of cues from Marvel vs. Capcom with like the three fighter system. Like, yeah, where one player controls three fighters. That interesting take on a on a Dragon Ball game. All right, but uh. Let's go ahead, we'll move into our first commercial break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about Mario Rabbit's Kingdom Battle. So. Guys, it's time to go ahead and move into our topic of the month. And if you're watching the video version, if you're looking at my desk and you're looking at my hat, you know what we're about to get into. We're going to talk Mario plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battle. The little game that nobody wanted until everybody wanted it. Uh, let's just go ahead and just dive right in. Let's start with the story because the story to me of this game was super, super intriguing and I... Probably the most story a Mario game has had 
in a long time that wasn't tied to the Paper Mario series. So, essentially the story starts like this. There's this inventor, we don't know her name, uh, and she has built this VR, you know, uh, headset device that fuses items together. Uh, it has a little bit of a malfunction. She gets frustrated. She's like, I'm going to call it a night. Come on, Beepo. Uh, and Beepo is this like little Roomba device that she's built. And she leaves the room. Out of nowhere, the rabbits come into the room in their washing machine, time machine. Uh, washing time machine. And they start wrecking havoc on what has to be the ultimate Nintendo fan game room. She had the walls painted up to look like World 1-1. She had green piping on the roof. She had all her cool little collectibles. And shout out because Ubisoft actually, you know, did the whole, hey, let's put in a real world collectible in here. And they have that like Paladone uh, question block light on the floor. And I was like, I have that. <laughs> so that was cool. Uh, so the rabbits wreck havoc. One of the rabbits puts on the VR device and basically starts fusing things together. Eventually he hits like the washing machine. Then the washing machine starts to suck all the rabbits in. But it also sucks in a poster for Mario Bros. And all the rabbits get teleported into their washing time machine. And they basically get into the Mushroom Kingdom and start wrecking havoc with this giant portal. Mario and Luigi, Princess and Toad all get sucked in. And from there, Mario meets Rabbit Peach and Rabbit Luigi. And right off the bat, you can tell that Rabbit Peach is like going to be a hilarious character to just watch. And obviously, the other rabbits that got sucked in, they're evil and they're attacking, you know, Mario and Rabbits. Although, one of the funniest things I saw in that part was them gluing Goombas together by the feet. That actually made me laugh. And out of nowhere, Mario finds, you know, a gun teleports in front of Mario, like the blast cannon. And Mario's like, oh, what do I do? Do I uh, stick up my hand inside this cannon and start blasting everybody? And he does. And there the game starts. So it's a really long opening cutscene for the game. I think it's like seven, eight minutes long, which I wasn't expecting. But it, it's funny because right off the bat, you get like a good tone for the game. So thoroughly enjoyed that opening cutscene. And... From you know, figure from there, you obviously get the rest of the story where, you know, Beepo and Mario and and the and the rabbits need to basically free the Mushroom Kingdom from this weird fusion that has taken taken over. They obviously have to do that by catching the rabbit that that put on the VR device and has started wrecking havoc across you know the two lands. So it's a very interesting story, but it's it's also one that we. We probably didn't need that much of a story for this co this collaboration to happen, but I'm actually kind of really happy that Ubisoft put it in there. What are your thoughts on these on the story? Well, I mean, you pretty much covered a lot of the the background, and um, so I, I don't have any comment there. But what what I found so interesting in such um, what I was very impressed by was the amount of story being told without needing the fully-fledged 3D, um, A voiceless kind of talent that, that, we, that we've come to expect out of, out, of, out of a lot of these AAA titles. I mean, um, not, not, not just picking on Activision and Call of Duty, 
But I mean, e- even even Ubisoft with um, I think it was Assassin's Creed. Yeah, yeah, Assassin's Creed. Uh, they they you know they're notorious for for blowing money and having a lot of exposition and stuff. And so I was very impressed with how how well they were able to tell a good story, um, an interesting story, and a um, a compelling story with so so little being said by the actual characters. Most of the exposition, all of the exposition, really, is done by by Beepo. You know, no, one hundred percent. It's true. Um... It's it's pretty much the standard uh, Mario you know pantomime that you get, where Mario basically reacts to most things versus speaking on them, uh, other than his like wahoos and here we goes, you know yeah. all that you know he does you don't see a lot of that but it's it's really that's a good attention to detail that Ubisoft put into the game was how do we make this game feel like a classic Mario story without you know, adding any of our own, you know, vices into it, like, you know, voice acting or just doing any of the weird shit that Ubisoft possibly could have done during this collaboration. The game is, like, really faithful to just standard Mario games uh, outside of the whole rescuing the princess thing. But even then, like, princess is inactive for a good portion of the game. Uh, JB, any thoughts on the story? I didn't really think too much of the story. I do have some like questions on um like I still wanna know where the heck is Bowser. Um what he's doing, all that. I know Bowser Jr.'s in there. But as far as the story, like it's very simplified. I mean the characters that they're adding together are the Mario characters and the Rabbids, which they don't talk too much generally. The Rabbids have this weird language, so this really <laughs> like as far as to say, um yeah, just it's a very simplified story. Um, doesn't need to go too too far into detail. So I really don't think they sat there at the table discussing like what should the story be, like what happens. Um, throwing in the enigmatic female character, who by the way I don't know if you guys noticed as well, she's wearing the suspenders, like she's in a full Mario cosplay almost. Yes, yeah, I like, did not kind of cool. notice that. I did not did notice, notice that. that. No, I did not. Go back not. and watch it. Yes, she's wearing wow. the Mario cosplay with like a scarf, and I'm just like that's kind of cool. Um, huh. That kind of, for me, drives the story, because, like, is she part of the story? Is there something more to it? Is she the one who keeps sending the emails to Beepo? It's helping them out, you know? I would say so, because even though Beepo's getting the emails, they always feel like they're being directed at Mario, and they always end with, your biggest fan. I was like, well, yeah. who's like, There's yeah. nobody here that can Beepo's fan. But you know what? I think you've touched on something really salient there, and the simplicity of the story. And, you know, um, I think a a lot of the times, games try and make uh, overly complicated stories, you know? And Ubisoft did a great job with having a simple story to work really well. I think in many cases, simple is good, you know? Yeah, that would have been the that would have been the temptation was to make the game, um, you know, complicated or uh, would have been to you know have a complicated or convoluted story. Um, that would have been an easy route for them to go. But I mean, I'm glad that they they chose to just keep the game as uh, simple as they could because 
it adds it, it kind of in my opinion it adds to the appeal of it because you could just jump into that game with very little exposition um you don't need to necessarily know what's happening once because uh obviously i've had people come over ask me what i'm playing and i showed it to them they're like oh it's mario and they see it as just a mario game which is I mean, honestly, that I think that's the biggest credit to Ubisoft is that people look at this game and they're only seeing it as a Mario game. That is, that is great for them. Moving on, graphics, the graphics, the character design, and and the art direction as a whole. This is the part of the of the game that still, almost a month after its release, takes me by surprise. Oh yeah, I, I cannot yeah. believe how much I love the way this game looks. And I think that was my initial fear about the game. I didn't think that the crossover idea was necessarily a stupid one to begin with. He's, he's crossed over to other games before. That's that's not a big deal. But I think when he does cross over to other games, that they don't always capture his art style really, really well. Uh, Mario is a... He's a very simple character by design, but he's also... It takes some effort to make Mario look right. And in the Mario Sonic Olympic games... I don't think they necessarily get that look right. Or, you know, the way that Activision uh, added uh, Nintendo characters to uh, Skylanders. They tried to conform the Skylanders, uh, the, the Nintendo characters, into a Skylanders art style. And I think, I think that hurt those characters within that game. Obviously, that game is just a bad game because Skylanders are bad games. Uh, even, even for baby games, they're bad games. No, they're not Spyro. Yes, no, exactly. they're not. <laughs> they started off with, this is Spyro. It's not Spyro. Stop it. Not at all. <laughs> no, no but they're, they're bad games. And, and initially when I saw the Sky Mebo, as I like to call them, I thought they looked cool until I got them in my hands and I could see how that they had bent Nintendo characters to, characters to fit into the art style of Skyliners, and it just didn't work. Nintendo, yeah. Nintendo characters need to look like Nintendo characters. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I totally see what you're saying, but I also disagree in a certain way because I think Nintendo characters can conform, but it has to be. So, so the, the, this is the, the most difficult part about um, game development is there is a very nuanced art to it, and I think there is a way to to bend, to, to not, not necessarily bend, but kind of transform and alter Nintendo characters to make them a little bit different, but if you get the nuance just right, it can still feel like a Nintendo's characters. So, I, I don't, don't know if I necessarily agree with you on that point, but I do agree with you that the Skylanders didn't quite do it right. Something was, something was off. Donkey you know Kong I mean? should never wear anything other than a tie. Yeah, Word. yeah. Word. Um... <laughs> No, but you know what? T to be fair, even the Ubisoft Mario doesn't 100% look like yeah. a Nintendo-designed Mario. But it is, it is like a Mario designed through a rabbit's lens. But the rabbits themselves are a lot more fluid than any of the Skylanders characters. Like, the Skylanders are very hard-edged characters with a lot of, like, weird details, like scaling or, like, uh... They're very you know, spiky. Spiky, rocky patches, where the yeah. Mario characters just can't conform to that. They're, they are too rounded 
um, what the rabbits are by nature, like two ovals with with legs. <laughs> yeah, they basically. Lot, they have a lot more <laughs> thought put into them than the minions. I'll say that. Yeah, <laughs> they're 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 just these. They're like these white canvases that are two ovals, like I said, but they're they're really round, and it was probably easier for those characters to bend to fit a more Mario style than it is for Mario to bend to to it to any other game style. So these two games actually, the art direction between them it makes the the styles really mesh well together. And like I said, even though Mario doesn't look one hundred percent like Mario, he's like ninety nine point five percent there. And the other 0.5% is just a little Ubisoft flair, which I think actually really makes the you know the character models look nice. And uh, a lot, recently, a lot of uh, news uh, has come out saying that uh, in order to get this pitch off the ground, the uh, the the game director uh, Davide Soliani had his team basically come up with the character models for Mario and Luigi within a three-week time span so they could pitch the game, and that. Miyamoto was so impressed by the character models, he asked, where did you get these? We didn't send you these assets. And Soliani had to tell him, no, we made this. And that's what kind of sold Miyamoto on on the whole collaboration as a whole. It's like, that level of dedication for a pitch, you know how most video game pitches or TV pitches or book pitches go? Storyboards. That's how pitches work. They had working, functioning character models that they could showcase. If that doesn't show the dedication that, you know, you know, Davide Soliani and the team at Ubisoft Paris and Ubisoft Milan had to making this game look and feel good, nothing else will. So, it, it, it's it was definitely a passion project for the for those those two Ubisoft teams that developed this game, and I, the character models I I think are a benchmark. They look great. I mean. I got them here on the table, you know, you know, this is a standard Mario toy standing next to the rabbits, and it doesn't look out of place. So I'm actually really happy with that. Outside of that, graphically, the game is just really gorgeous. Almost reminds me of a Super Mario uh, for the Wii U, 3D World for the Wii U. That's what I was going to say, is it's very reminiscent, like the open world, how you can move around, kind of threw me back to um, Super Mario 3D World, which I really liked. Like, it was really breathtaking. Um, I just got to World 3, and I'm still finding aesthetics in the game that I'm just like, wow, this is really done. It's very colorful. It just pulls you in and makes you want to explore. And <clears throat> also, every now and then, you'll come across, like, rabbits doing something out in the distance, so that also helps you pull your eyes out and see what's going on. Well, just, just in World 1, you, you, yeah. what you were saying, just in World 1, when you are uh, right as you venture into that uh, that first that first uh, world, and you see like the giant blocks off in the distance because they obviously they pan the camera that way for you to see. I was like, wow, that is really really impressive, and it looks like Mario 3D World. Like you're right, aesthetically, it looks like Mario 3D World, but like if Mario 3D World got like invaded by rabbits, essentially, yeah. You know, it's funny, like. I, I was actually caught even before World One the One. It was for me. It was the menu screen when they're panning around the castle, Peach's castle. I'm like, wait, wait, what? This is this was done by Ubisoft? Are you are you serious right now? That's that's weird. 
it was so... It took me back to, like, the first time I saw Peach's Castle in Mario 64. You know what I mean? Like, and being able to see that in updated, uh, altered, of course, but very, very true-to-form kind of rendition of it, that was very impressive. There's so much attention to detail that the team put in that, that, that you know, even even now, sometimes I find myself just spending an extra five minutes on the menu screen just to see or just to rewatch it again. Not only from a texture standpoint, but also from a uh, let's see what the dumb rabbits are doing kind of standpoint. Yeah, no, it it, it it's weird because you called it a triple A title earlier, but in in fairness, it's not. The yeah, team, yeah, the teams that developed this game. Are not AAA developers for Ubisoft. These the the Ubisoft Paris and Ubisoft Milan. They mostly do side work and texture work for you know bigger Ubisoft games, uh, like for Steep. They did a lot of texture work for Steep. But that being said, they you know th these two teams that worked on this game, because of the amount of texture work they do for other games, almost made them the perfect development staff to make a game like this and look pretty. And on top of that, they had the full access of the uh, the Snowdrop engine, which had only been used in one other Ubisoft game. And the first game to use the Snowdrop engine was Tom Clancy's The Division, which is a hyper-realistic shooter game, third-person shooter. <coughs> then you have South Park, The Fractured But Whole, which isn't out yet, but... Hmm. You know. And yeah. Then, and now you have uh, Mario Plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, and the game, the... the uh, the NFC game, Starlink Battle for Atlas, which they showcased during the Ubisoft presentation as well, which has, like, the, uh, the Amiibos that look like planes. Mm. This that engine, explains why it is good. This engine is really versatile. Yeah. Look at the four games. I'm none, looking at stuff on it. None of, this, none of the games on this engine reflect the previous game. Like, Tom Clancy Division doesn't look like South Park, and it doesn't look like Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle. This might be Ubisoft's best engine in a while. I mean, and for a long time, they they, they got on that whole Unreal Engine 4 uh, hype train. Uh, and the only reason they're not using it and internally developed their own engine was simply because of the uh, royalty cost got too high. And uh, that'll do it. But, yeah. you know, this t you know Ubisoft Paris and Ubisoft Milan having access to... this much access to their own uh, proprietary engine and using it they used it really well, um, and I don't know how many, how much time you guys have played this game undocked, but I, I can tell you, undocked this game really, really looks good on that six inch, seven inch screen on the uh, Switch tablet itself. That was impressive. I was like, this game yeah. looks good undocked. I saw the same thing, and it was it, it, it's so impressive. Honestly, they they, they deserve. <clears throat> all the highest praise and all the props for the work they did. Not just texture-wise, but also from from level design and world design, really. It feels like a Mario game. 100% true. That'll take us into our next topic. Gameplay. So Mario's no stranger uh, to RPG. Started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we all know that Mario is not a stranger to, you know, the RPG uh, genre, but, uh, Definitely not like this. We've never actually seen Mario in a uh, 
tactics-based XCOM-style game. This is the this is the part. This is the thing when I initially saw the game when they showcased it at E3. Th yes, the game looked good. Yes, like the the trailer they have got me hyped. But it was the gameplay that got me hyped. I was like, "Holy crap! This is Mario XCOM." Without actually being called Mario XCOM, that's what initially drew me in. But as I'm playing it, I realize how much deeper it goes than XCOM. Uh, you have so much more freedom of movement that the XCOM games do not give you because you're chaining attacks left and right in this game. Like you're bouncing, you're, you're dashing into an enemy, then you're running to a teammate, you're bouncing off that teammate, you're jumping onto a higher platform, and then you're attacking from that top position. The XCOM games are great games. Never want to say anything bad about the XCOM games, but they could learn something from the freedom of movement that Mario Rabbids has allowed for. And I know those games are more grounded in reality than Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle, but still, just the, the freedom of movement, in my opinion, makes this game stand out more than the XCOM series. And I was like, really impressive. On top of that, we have... You know, like like uh, like Jaden said, there's amazing stage design, which fully takes advantage of all those movement options, and the uh, that the, just everything about this game, the gameplay is so impressive to me. I just I was gushing over it. Like I just don't want to put the game down. Like, but at the same time, I don't want to beat it too fast either because every <laughs> time favorite. I play it, I enjoy it so much. Uh. Like, you had your seven-hour streaming session, but the first day I played it, I racked up 17 hours. Yeah. 17 hours is all I did. For 17 straight hours, I played Mario Rabbids Kingdom Hell. I just could not, would not put that game down because it was just... The gameplay, man, was just that much fun. No, I think you're absolutely right on that level. Um, it, it, I played a lot of XCOM, and so... Honestly, when I first saw the, the parallel, I, I really didn't think it could work. But actually seeing the gameplay in action, what, what really what really sold me on it was when they had that um, the 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 I think it was E three, but they had the trailer showing the um, the chaining movement attack, or that was really what sold it to me. And because uh, because I, I don't think I, I, I cognitively recognized at the time, but there was a part of me that realized, oh wait, that is going to create a very interesting. Um, Mechanic for uh, strategic placing. No, and the, and that's kind of what the whole game is about. Is like, especially uh, the missions, like the escort missions. Mm -hmm. How do I get towed here while keeping him protected, but also maintaining the ability to attack? Yeah, like, all these things come into play, I, and I guess we could talk about. Well, since we're here on gameplay, uh, boss battles and mid-boss battles. Some great boss battles and some really, really good uh, mid-boss battles. Uh, I'm currently on the last world, and the mid-boss I'm fighting is so devastatingly brutal. Uh, he requires... He has the most HP I've seen in the game thus far, as far as enemies are concerned. And he has the greatest uh, range of movement. And then he has a couple of powers. Uh, for anybody who's unlocked Rabbit Mario, he has that like 
power Rabid Mario can draw an enemy in. So it makes oh, this, that's so devastating. Yeah, this character is so oh. OP uh, that I actually was like, okay, I'm just gonna take a, I'm gonna take a couple days off because this boss is just mean. Uh, and it's a mid-boss. It's the mid-boss. I'm like, what is the boss gonna be like? The I was really impressed by the reintroduction of mid-bosses, actually. And having them actually not be a fucking joke. Because I've, I've been so used to, to games lately, where they introduce a mid-boss and you wipe the floor with him. And... Yeah! <laughs> that game... It, it, that, that was one of the things that surprised me at Rabbit. Is that they, they, they really ease you in. And even in World 1-1... You hit the mid-boss, and if you're not careful, he'll wipe you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that Piranha Rabbit was dead. Like, he was difficult. When I hit him, it took me three tries, I think, to take him out. We can verify that on the stream later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, this, I, I don't think we've actually explicitly said it, but uh, what, one of the things that made the mid-bosses, or just not just the mid-bosses, but even, even skirmishes in general so dangerous, is the fact that a lot of the, the, the stuff that you can do in terms of movement, um, the enemies can do too. And I forget that very often, because I'm used to XCOM. I'm like, oh, okay, I can I can jump off of, uh, I can take Mario, have him jump off of, of, of Peach, and then I'll take Luigi, and he'll do the same thing, and then I'll just have him flank. But then I forget that the other guys in the back, they can flank my flankers, yeah, then all of a sudden they're dead. And I'm like, well... I would honestly venture to say that most of the time they actually do what you do better than you do. Oh, yeah. You uh, can learn from them. Especially in the boss in the boss and mid-battles. Mid-battle bosses. Those, those guys, they're assholes, man, because the movement they get... On top of that, a lot of the bosses and mid-bosses have... You know, they can travel much further and deal way more damage than you could ever output. Even if you max... I got my character's, uh, you know, power maxed out as early as possible. I, I didn't focus on, like, the things like the health. I focused on their attack very early on to, like, wipe the floor with bosses. Yet it wasn't... It still wasn't enough. Uh, the Parabid was a pain in the butt. I got lucky, though. I ended up beating yeah. it on my first try simply <laughs> because I, I had spaced my characters out a good deal. So I kind of drew him into those those uh, flame boxes that when you shoot them, obviously they burn the, the uh, boss. I got I got him hit with the flame boxes a couple times and it made my life easier. Uh, but that wasn't a mechanic I was actually looking to exploit was the you know the the environment. I just got lucky a few times and he would happen to be shielding on those boxes and that just made my life easier. Oh yeah. Didn't but get like that lucky on other bosses though. I like the attention to detail when when it came to adding explodables. I, I didn't I didn't expect it in in the Mushroom Kingdom, and the fact that they added them in there, it kind of wrecked me <laughs> the first time because I'm like, oh, that's probably just you know an environment piece that looks different, and then oh, surprise, it explodes. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Luckily, when I streamed, nice one called it out. He was like, hey, you might want to stay away from those, and I'm like, oh why? Like because you catch fire. <laughs> I did. Like, okay, cool. Thanks for letting me know, Marvel. Get out of there. No, and, you know, before this game came out, when we after we had seen the initial E3 uh, showcasing for it, I was talking to Mario after party, and his biggest concern about the game was that this game it's made for children, or at least 
at the very least, it looks like it's made for children because all Mario games look like they're made for children. And to an extent, some, you know, they, they are. They, to an extent, I mean, they do get progressively harder, but not in the way that Mario Rabbids gets harder. Mario Rabbids goes from... Medium to ten. It, it, I yeah. agree, dude. By one, it, it, it scales so well. Like even like we said, even in World One, PD the Piranha Plant was like the hardest thing. But then it just scales as you go up. I am in World Three, and I feel like I'm getting near the end of the game with how difficult these enemies are getting. The Smashers can now upgrade. They can boost their own attack. They may not move that far, but more of them are coming up. And now they spawn more. The healers, the ghosts, can draw you in. They the are absolutely fantastic in the game. Honestly, yeah. they, they uh, whoever developed and, and programmed the uh, AI script, props to you because you did a good job of pissing me off. <laughs> That's how you know because you're about to throw the controller and you're like, "This is a kids' game, but I'm gonna break this controller if yeah. the dude ends it." <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're right. The game scales, but at one point, you know. I wasn't accounting for the game to scale the way it did. Uh, so by the time I got to World 3 and I started getting wrecked a little more often, I was like, maybe I need to reassess where I've uh, placed some of these uh, these value points. And I had, so to wipe, pro tip real quick. I had to wipe everyone clean and start from scratch. And like, let's start making, let's start making mobility a, a bigger factor. Uh, let's start focusing yes. on Peach's healing. Let's, you know, which is the best part about the game is that you're not 100% locked into the, the the choices you make when it comes to the way you divvy up their skill points. Yeah, like right now, the way I built my team isn't working so far. Um, I really put a lot of skill points into like Rabbit Peach and Peach herself with her hopping ability to land next to someone. I'm going to work on that next. But um, one tip that I found really helpful is getting Luigi and Mario's heroes and Steely Sight in the same regards as get the maximum you can. Because those shots have saved me so many times. Like, Luigi has the ability to knock someone into the air. Mario will still get triggered. And he has two. I think Luigi has up to three, I think? Yep. I haven't gotten the third one. He has up to three. Like, you can mess up a lot of people with those Steely Sights. Like... Get those maxed out as soon as you can, because it gives you so many more options. And that's what's so great about the gameplay, is that you don't even consider this. And then you accidentally trigger a set reaction like that. And I'm just like, that's what got me like, this game is fucking amazing. I don't know if they realized they were doing this, but they're like, giving you so many options to have so many ways to con like conquer these things. And just, oh god, I'm, I'm gushing. Okay. Well, with, with, with the hero side, I sometimes forget that it's there, even though I've activated it. Sometimes oh, yeah. I will forget, like, because there'll be times where even though Mario has the two shots and Luigi has the three, they'll only take the one or two necessary to stop uh, one of the bigger ones, and then you'll still have, uh, you know, one of Luigi's or maybe one of Mario's active, so on the opponent's turn, when they make the movement, I will sometimes forget that the hero side is still activated, and watch them to just get created off the stage. And that's that's actually one point I like to bring up is I learned from the AI mm -hmm. that that's a thing because they get heroes, they get villain sight as well. And I watch them and they will take their turn, they will like kick someone in the crotch and they'll keep running, they'll stop and then they'll activate it. 
as sort of a safety precaution, and I'm just like, let me try doing that. And when you start doing that, it opens a lot more opportunities for you to keep people safe, especially on escort missions. That mm -hmm. is a godsend on escort missions. Oh my god, that the, the World 3 Toadette escort mission, I did so well compared to the first one. Oh my god. I was just dude. like, wow. World 3. World 3, that Toadette escort mission. I am utterly ashamed to admit how many turns that took me. You had, I think they wanted you to do it in 10. It took me 17 turns. Yeah, like, oh, because, like, it was such a long level, too, and you just, that's why you always, like, they give you the option to scope out beforehand, and I always do that. Yeah, like, help. no, you're going to give me the opportunity. But sometimes, even no matter how much you scope, you just end up being outplayed, and you have to bunker down a bit and clear, clear, clear paths, you know? It yeah. sucks. Confession time, I never scope out the stage before I play it. Never. Really? Never, not once have I gone <laughs> to look at the stage because I am such an impatient gamer that I'm always trying to skip the cutscene where they show you the stage. And I've almost activated the uh, the easy mode just because I'm just tapping buttons like, come on, I don't need to see the stage. And yeah, I haven't, I've never looked at the stage. I just, I just do. Yeah. I'm surprised I have as much perfect as I do. I mean, more props to you for doing that. But there's yeah. a couple things that, uh, that we mentioned right there that we haven't uh, explicitly stated in terms of gameplay mechanics, and one of them is the, the scope. Scope allows you to, before the battle begins, you can um, actually look uh, to see the stage layout. Uh, not not the stage layout, but the combat area layout. It helps you um, basically try and plan before things happen. But as I as we all mentioned before, you know. Even though you plan shit, the AI will find a way to screw you. <laughs> because it's really good. And the other thing that we mentioned was the easy mode. Uh, I haven't touched it, but I assume it's there for the kids. But uh, yeah, those are the two things that we just brought up right there that wasn't explicitly stated for those of you who haven't played the game. I have been tempted to activate the easy mode on the current mid-boss that I'm at, just because, like I said, this mid-boss is OP. He is so difficult that the easy mode has looked tempting a few times but i have yet to do it i was like man they actually just hit that button they actually just hit no, that button there's another thing that we mentioned before earlier that we haven't actually explicitly talked about either and the other thing is the uh skill trees when you level you, you actually get to level up your characters in the game um it's not static skills which is really cool and they actually give you skill trees to put points in so that um it can, it can boost your abilities, better movement, better healing, etc., etc., better shots. What do you guys think of it? Oh, I love the skill tree, and I also love that you're not permanently locked into it. If you want to, if you want to take those skills, the skills that you've applied, you totally have the opportunity to reassess how you've, the choices you've made, get all your skill points back, and then reapply them in a brand new fashion. Because, uh, like I said, there are times where when I started the game, I focused on the power of every character. And there are certain characters who are just not designed in a way where, like Rabbit Peach. She's not really designed with power as a factor. It's more about her healing. Uh, and uh, obviously Mario and Yoshi are, Rabbit Yoshi are more about range. Uh, with Mario being a very mid-rangey character, but Rabbit Yoshi having, I think, the longest range within the game with his primary weapon. 
and we haven't even talked about secondary weapons yet. There are, you're not just yes. to the guns that there are in the game, you have a whole, like, wave of secondary weapons that can actually, some of them can output more damage than some of the primary weapons, like, uh, some of Mario, Centuries. yeah, some of Mario's hammers are, like, really OP, but the, the drawback of them is, is that to use that hammer, you, if you don't kill, you are leaving yourself really wide open to a counterattack on the next turn. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's another thing that we haven't even talked about at all, is mm. the weapon systems. You can upgrade your main weapons, and um, the, the upgrades sometimes take the form of doing more damage, but a lot of times they just add different effects. Like, one of them will have knockback chance, which is good from the standpoint of uh, you can deal a lot, you can wreck people if you knock them off the stage. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's out of bounds deals extra damage. Oh, yeah, and so that's a mechanic that I often forget about that often gets used against me. <laughs> I can't wreck today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The World 3 boss knocked me off the stage a few times. I was like, damn it. I gotta stop putting myself in this in this position. Well, that's, the, that's one of the things, too, you, you have to take into account. Is the is the extra damage worth the uh, the the risk? Because uh, on the on the third boss, there's a couple platforms that obviously when you're if you you know use your skill tree wisely, you can uh, you can get better attacking from higher vantage points. Or you you output more damage versus you know just being on on a flat surface. But some of these uh, these higher vantage points have the ability. To, you have the ability to get knocked off the stage from that vantage point, so you have to me you have to measure whether it's worth the advantage of having that extra attack power versus what's going to happen to you on the next turn, especially if they activate a critical and you get bounced. Because that uh, that messed me up a few times on the boss of uh, World Three. Bounced yeah, off the I mean, stage so many times. Also, take into consideration the weapons have. Uh, percent bonus chances to activate their super depending on certain enemies. Yeah. I'm always staking out a weapon that has something against the supports because I fucking hate supports. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> You'll get some early on in the game. See, I'm always trying to kill the smashers early, so I'm, I'm always trying to get weapons that have like a 30% or more yeah. crit on those. Or something oh, to yeah. stop them from moving. Oh yeah. Honey. Honey I like a lot. Honey, or I mean, I've come to find out that like, let's see. I don't even know what all the effects are because I haven't gotten that far, but I know there's Honey stops them from moving, Ice keeps them from using some abilities, Ink stops them from using their other special abilities, I think. Yep. Well, uh, Ink stops them from attacking entirely because they can't see. Okay, so it does, because I've never been Inked, and then when well, I've been Inked, and it, like, stopped me from attacking, I think? Yeah, and you then can still fast, but you just can't attack with your weapons. One weapon set because I'm very like I'm very strategic when it comes to this game, and I will find like what will give me the biggest advantage is the stone. Yes, uh, that saved my the stone saved my butt during the mid boss battle of World Three because I kept on keeping the guy there. <clears throat> um, Rabbit Luigi's stone yo yo whatever it is I forget the name of it, but um, I kept using it, and then the, the super abilities are just really nice. <clears throat> and like I said, like when you play the game, keep an eye out for it if it does extra percentage towards an enemy that you just really hate, because those are very useful. Yeah, I mean, I think we could spend, like, the rest of this show talking about, like, the yeah. gameplay, because um, it's, it's, it's really that in-depth. Um, 
which is surprising. That's to me. That's still the most surprising thing is how in depth the gameplay is on this game. Uh, it may look like a Mario game. It may feel like a Mario game, and to some extent, it plays like a Mario game. But this is not your daddy's Mario game. This is a legit like game that I just cannot throw enough yeah. like shine at Ubisoft for the way they developed this game. No, it's it's tough. It's tough, like Mario sixty four and Mario Sunshine. Tough. I mean, we haven't mm. seen games this mm. difficult in the Mario format in, in a long time. So it's nice to see. That's true. So let's just go ahead. We're gonna move on. Move it on. Let's let's talk about the characters of the game for right now. Um, and we're gonna combine the talking points one and three together, uh, just because I feel like they go really well together. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry. The last, the last three talking points will we'll combine the characters with the lack of Mario mainstay villains. Um, the characters are great. Uh, they are very true to form. You, ex- you know, Mario acts the way that you would expect Mario to act. The only character I think is a little out of place within the game is actually Peach herself. Uh, without, you know, she's not really portraying the damsel in distress. She is. Probably the most badass character in the game because, man, her damage output is... She's a tank, and she has Mm -hmm. some really, really good weapon choices. You know Um, what, though? I kind of disagree with you on that point. I don't think... So, so part of it is the way I've constructed Peach in my head. Peach has not been a damsel in distress by choice. It's by circumstance. Like, if you look at Peach in some of the other games, she's pretty badass. She's, like, the best character in Super Mario 2 because she's got the hover ability... Uh, you know what I mean? And um, I'm pretty sure you can use her in some of the Mario and Luigi games. I'm blanking on which one. I'm, I'm, wait, couldn't you have used her? Was, it, was she available in Thousand Star Door? Yeah, you could. No, it was the first Mario because she was. First Paper Mario because she was trying to help Mario get to the castle. Ah, that's right. But you played, but you played as her, so she was technically a damsel in distress, but she was like, no, F this because the star was helping her. Yeah, yeah. So she's broken out of that. You're actually right. Yeah. She's broken out of the damsel in distress role for a long time yeah. now. Uh, yeah, and and so you know, I, I really think that the damsel in distress lately ha- has has just been circumstantial, really. Yeah. Uh, more so than than anything else, and even in some of the newer Mario games, Mario Odyssey aside, but I mean the uh, Super Mario uh, 3D World was that the Wii U one? Yep. She's a long she's time from there, and she's not. Uh, it, it, I wouldn't classify her as a damsel in stress. Well, not anymore, anyways. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally get that argument. I can, I can see that. I'm, I think I, I just come at it, like, whereas I still see her uh, in the Mario 1, Mario 3 light, where she yeah. is almost completely useless. Uh, but you know what? Think about her. Her role in Mario 3D World was actually uh, fairly actually OP in that game. Uh, especially once she got her cat suit abilities. When she is a cat, Peach is OP. So, I, mean, I still, I just, I don't know. Maybe it's just, she, to me, she felt a little off, off kilter, but, I mean, outside of that, I mean, all the other characters feel great, but, uh, the characters that steal the show, I mean, Mario feels like Mario, Luigi feels like Luigi, Yoshi feels like Yoshi. The I haven't seen Yoshi yet, so. Oh, you'll get there. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I do like how they treat Luigi in the game. They kept the uh, with the the trend of treating him like crap. Which <laughs> I feel bad about for Luigi, but <laughs> it's Luigi. You just get used to it. 
They call them Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> or like you know, it they they yeah. follow the song that said in Mario in Mario Luigi. What what was the Toad refers to him as the um, the less charismatic and less known Mario brother. Yep. Something along those lines, and they, yep. they follow that in suit. It's great. Great. And they're just great. like, yeah, let's just stay with it. Great attention to detail. No, it's true. But uh, yeah, all the all the Mario characters feel right. Even uh, Toad and Toadette, uh, who aren't playable but do play a pretty significant role at times. Um, they they feel right. Uh, I do love the fact that Beeple actually gets really pissed off at them uh, later in the game, and he's like cursing them out for always leaving. Yeah. Because then the car- the player can relate to that. They're like, I hate doing escort missions. And then when he curses them out, you're like, yes, thank you. <laughs> Channel my anger. Let the game know I don't like these. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but the rabid characters, moving on, let's just, the rabid characters are fantastic. Every one of them is fantastic, but uh, Rabid Peach definitely uh, steals the show. Uh, with yeah, her, pretty much. With her self-respect. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I think there's one point in time. Uh, I hope I'm not. Yeah, if memory serves me right, there's a point in time where when she meets Peach, she she uh, she gives her a look over, and then basically gives the attitude like, "This this is what I'm up against." Like, please, <laughs> not even in my class, you know. Like my cosplay is so much better. Exactly, <laughs> scrub. <laughs> no good, and I I I lost it there. I Rabbit Peach actually has an exclusive cutscene that only she can have. In the boss fight for uh, for World 2, when you fight the snow monster, whoever is the third member of your party will automatically be captured and replaced by Princess Peach. So if Rabbit Peach is your second party character, when Peach shows up on the battlefield, she will do that thing again where she's like, Bitch, please. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, she ha- happen. Okay. Yeah. She, she, she has a she has this bitch please. <laughs> she has that bitch please moment, and it's funny because as Peach is floating down, Mario puts his hand out to like, you know, catch her gracefully, and Peach Robin Peach comes up and she she does her bitch please, and then she goes shoot shoot. She tries to shoot Peach away, and then she sticks her hand out for Mario to grab, which makes Mario just Mario's just like ugh. And it's great, and it's only, you can only see that cutscene if Rabid Peach is your second playable member. And the only reason I know that was because I failed that mission and switched Rabid Peach to my second slot so that I would have Rabid Peach and Peach at the same time because they both have those healing capabilities. And when I saw that cutscene, I cracked up. I was like, that bitch, she said, bitch, please. Without, <laughs> like, she, <laughs> she pantomimed, bitch, please. That's fantastic. You know, that's one of the other things that I thought was so great about the characters, is how well they fit in and interact with each other. This was the most unlikely combination, and the one that I thought would never work, because Rabbids and Mario in the same world interacting on a level playing field? Impossible! There's no way Peach is going to tolerate a rabbit, or you know what I mean? Or Mario and a rabbit are going to be able to interact in a, in, in a way that feels nuanced and right and organic. And I was so, so pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, the, the interactions between, you know, the, the four, the, the eight characters is actually meaningful. Like, you, you, you 
but like throughout the course of the game, you you can see how these characters would build some kind of like odd respect for one another. But I think that was kind of the point of the game is that when when Davide Soliana was talking about the game, he said these characters are are we made it so that these characters would learn from each other, where Mario would learn the importance of humor and telling a joke and you know taking a joke. The rabbits would learn, you know from the Mario characters about loyalty and family and whatnot. And I think you really see all of those things come to fruition. Uh, so it, it it all really works out really well. And I, I just love the character interactions. Um, moving on with the characters, though, there there are... The, the enemy rabbits are all really diverse. I mean, and none of them actually feel like overused like you don't see you know you have the smashers you have the valkyries you have the zippies and i think they're all utilized really well and there's something kind of satisfying about blasting a rabbit like point blank in the face uh with mario's uh uh you know hammer but uh you know, to, to go back to the the, the hero rabbits i prefer their abilities over the hero shots uh, sometimes, especially like Rabbit Mario, where he has like the ability to, like, explode as he dashes, like he yes. just blows everything up around him. That to me, that's a fantastic uh, way to just deal out some major damage. But the one thing that I've been nobody has really talked about uh, in general. I've listened to other shows <clears throat> and whatnot, but. Uh, I, nobody, I, I don't hear people talking about the lack of Mario mainstay enemies. There's, You see Goombas, you see Bullet or Banzai Bills, you never actually fight against them, and the rabbits don't really fuse with them either. Like, the rabbits fuse with, like, some odd things, but they you never actually really see, like, the Mario mainstays. And it was weird. Like, that's the one thing about this game that I feel is a missed opportunity, because I would have loved to see a, a Koopa Trooper rabbit... Or a, or a, or a goom rabbit, a goom rabbit or whatever. Would have liked to have seen some of these combinations with other Mario mainstays. Like how awesome would it have been to see a rabbit fused with like that football player from Super Mario World, the one who oddly throws baseballs at you. Ugh. Just imagine like a football helmet <clears throat> with rabbit ears poking out of the top and just charging at you relentlessly. I think that would have been super awesome. I just. I feel like I missed some of the, the those characters, like in a Mario game. It, it's weird to not have them be as present and persistent as you know they normally are in other games. Uh, but that being said, the the diversity of the rabbit villains is there's so much of it that I didn't think about it too much until I damn near almost beat the game. Like I'm in the last world now, and that's when it really came to my. My thought process like, hey, I, why are there no Koopa Troopas and Goombas like fusions? Can I put one thing out though? Mm-hmm. There are still boos. Mm-hmm. The boos are there because I just got done with World Three, so there's one villain at least that I know of that's in there. So you can be glad that they're still there. Oh yeah, and they're they're awesome. <clears throat> yeah, they are. Right. I freaking hate them. My guess is yeah. DLC or Rabbits Two. I would, I would like. I'm about that DLC life. That, that I'm, I'm, I've already, you know, signed up for that season pass, so I'm good there. Yeah. Uh, also, I don't think any of us have beat the game yet, so there might be a chance that Bowser 
could be fused with rabbits. We don't know. I, I will say this: there is a Wario <clears throat> and a Wal and a Waluigi, a rabbit Wario and a rabbit Waluigi. That uh, that uh, my after party told me about. He said it was pretty hilarious. Oh God! <laughs> I guess we should talk about the bosses real quick since we're talking about characters. Rabbit Donkey Kong. Uh, I lost my shit. I lost my shit when I saw that. I was like, really? I love that. I love that. And I really wish they had done more like that. Like, like all the other villains after Rabbit Donkey Kong, they're cool, but they don't seem as cool as Rabbit Donkey Kong. Yeah, they, they don't seem as, like, characterized as Rabbit Donkey Kong. He had his own kind of personality, and just because you're... I also think it's because it's Donkey Kong in a Mario universe. Now, we know that Donkey Kong got his start with Mario way back in the day, so it'd be weird to say that. But you're just like, was Donkey Kong just here? Or did he find that time? Like, what's going on? Well, now, yeah, because they had a good job. Like, Nintendo separated those two franchises pretty thoroughly um, with a few off, you know, side games like the uh, Mario Kart games and the Mario Party games. It's actually pretty rare that Donkey Kong shows up in a Mario game in any capacity, so... But I would have to... You know, I venture to say that they're probably in the same universe. I mean, I think maybe uh, Mario Odyssey with the new Donkey City kind of maybe proves that Donkey Kong and Mario do exist in the same, like, you know, world. What's the jungle that he lives in? DK Island. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I totally see what you mean. I, I don't think it's far-fetched to have Mushroom Kingdom and DK Island exist on the same plane of, or same planet, rather. Yeah, have them be fairly close to one another because Donkey Kong does interact with Mario characters on a fairly regular basis when you think about, like, you know, the karting games and the party games and whatnot. But seeing that Kong Rabbit was great, and I love that whenever he grabs a Rabbit character, he just sits there and rubs them against his butt. I was like, that is, that is hilarious. He does? Oh, crap. That never happened to me. It only happens to the Rabbits... He, he tends to just pummel the Mario characters, but when he grabs one of the rabbit characters, he rubs them against his ass and then tosses them a great distance. I was like, that's, <laughs> that is gross. Well, hilarious. That's that is brutal. Just, that was great. The amount, <laughs> of toilet, the amount of toilet humor in this game is... Uh, there is a lot of toilet humor in this game, but it's always funny. I'm not it surprised works. that there is because that's how the rabbits were with their humor. Yeah. And, you know, that was one of the things that I was really, uh, what's what I'm looking for, reluctant about the game was the level of sophomore humor, but getting in, they do it well. Oh, they yeah. do it well. Yeah. I mean, it's as tasteful as you can do tasteless humor. Yeah. That's the weird thing about it. They, they find a way to do it in a tasteful manner. They don't overdo it. It's not overdone. That's... That's probably the best way to describe it. Like, it's there, but it's always like, for the most part, real. Other than Donkey Kong rubbing his ass against the rabbit's face, that's the most like out there the toilet humor gets. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me a lot of very classic Three Stooges kind of slapstick humor, where it's still clean and family friendly, but it's not like South Park levels of 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 bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense at all? Yeah. Alright, so let's go ahead, we'll move into our, our final part of this deep dive, uh, probably my favorite part of this deep dive, I'm not, if I'm being 100% honest, the soundtrack. Uh, so the soundtrack was 
scored by uh, Grant Kirkhope uh, of Donkey Kong 64 fame and uh, a bunch of great rare games. This guy is up there, in my opinion, with uh, David Weiss, who scored, you know, the original Donkey Kong Country series, and uh, obviously Ko uh, Koji Kondo, who has scored the Mario franchise uh, for basically forever. The soundtrack in this game is just, just great, and I think it really, for me, the hot, the benchmark. Uh, there are two benchmark moments in the uh, in this game. The boss of World Three. Uh, who sings this great opera ins that is completely insulting to the Mario to the point where Mario has the most intense death stare at, at the boss. Like, it makes the Luigi's death stare look like nothing. Mario gives this rabid the greatest death stare of all time. I was like, oh, you done pissed Mario off. No, you done really pissed him off. It's I'll a do that. Yeah, you'll be seeing that really soon, but it's this great opera piece that really references a lot of Mario's history, where he's like, your princess is in another castle, or he's like, <laughs> I've got the blue shell that'll send you to last place. I was like, oh my god, that'd be really... Wow. Like... Oh, I can't the, wait for the night's dream. I want to see yeah, that. That opera piece <laughs> is fantastic, to the point where I would keep failing the mission, and re-watching that, that opera, that, that cutscene right before the mission starts because it's that good. And then the other benchmark moment for me is, of course, that rabid Donkey Kong where they're doing, like, a revitalized score of the, the, the Donkey Kong jungle song. That main jungle song is like... But they do it in their own way, so it's... It, they did such a good job. The soundtrack is great. But it's almost it's it's also really subtle, like it's it's never like completely like jarring to hear any of the songs you hear. Uh, and when you're in the hub world, you hear the uh, the the Peach's Castle theme. It's it's a new take on Peach's Castle from Mario sixty four, but it it's done in this very like homage uh, way that homage way that it feels it feels great. I'm like man, they. Grant Kirkhope just did a really good job of scoring this game, and all the songs feel right at home, and they feel like Mario tracks that have been slightly bent out of proportion because of the Rabbids' introduction into this universe. So, thoroughly enjoyed the soundtrack, and the biggest bummer for me was not being able to, you know, get the collector's edition of this game because it came with the soundtrack, hmm. and guess I'm going to have to get it off of iTunes because they're currently selling it on iTunes. 51 songs on this soundtrack, man. 51. That makes sense. I mean, I think it's a, a, one of the most telling things about the genius of the soundtrack is the fact that they included an opera piece. I mean, that alone... I mean, how many games do that? Huh. Right. Final Fantasy 6? Yeah. Uh, well, like, the last time, yeah, <laughs> that I can think of offhand. Um, but that's... That's really uh, clever. It's incredibly clever. It is it is done in the funniest way possible. It's an opera piece, but it's also at the same time it, it takes into the, uh, into account that this game is comedic in nature. Like this game is a, as much as it is a, a tactical RPG, it's also a comedy. Yeah, uh, and it takes that well into account. And I don't know how many soundtracks truly put that much emphasis on the style of game, like. Yes, there are some great soundtracks to some great games, and like the 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 pieces will fit right. 
but to see a piece orchestrated in a way that it is completely reflective of the game, that much of the game, I don't think I've ever truly seen that. Like, yeah, we're going to do an opera piece, but we're going to take full advantage of the fact that this game is 100% comedy, and we're going to run with that, and we're going to make this opera piece as funny as we possibly can. And it's a high, it's like I said, it's the benchmark moment of the game for me. Once you get to that point, that was when I, up until that point, I was like, this is a great game. This is a really great game. But when I got to that point, I was like, nope, this is a game of the year contender. This is a game of the year contender. Oh, yeah. Because of little things like that. Little oh, things yeah. like that. And this is a year where we have games like Breath of the Wild, Horizon Zero Dawn, um, and then all these other great games, obviously Destiny 2. You have all these great games. And I think Mario Plus Rabbids has a fair shot at being named game. You know, it has a fair chance of being spoken with in that game of the year category because it's it's really that well done in my opinion. And the soundtrack, it's if the soundtrack doesn't win some kind of award, I'm gonna be upset because it's like I said, freaking opera piece in a Mario game. Might be the first time ever there's been an opera piece in a Mario game. That's something along the Zelda lines. I would expect that in a Zelda game, not in a Mario game. Oh, yeah. Easily. I agree. All right. But uh, I think that that covers all the topics that we have for this game. So let's let's go ahead and start wrapping things up. Uh, what are you guys' final thoughts on this game as a whole? Well, I got to say, um, full disclosure, I, I wanted to hate this game. I really did. I'm not sure if I've mentioned that before, and I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it in another podcast. But I, I hate the rabbits with a passion almost as much as the minions from whatever they, that movie was. Uh, I hate them, and so I bought the game looking for reasons to hate it, and I was disappointed because I couldn't find anything. Zero. It's <laughs> on a bad day. I think the game is an eight out of ten. On a great, on a good day, it's a nine point. I mean, this is a really solid game. It's an, it's a fantastic game. No, I, I'm in that same boat. Like, I'm not a fan of the rabbits. I, I actually kind of, for a long time, I credited the rabbits as being the downfall of the Rayman series until they rebooted it uh, with oh, yeah. the, uh, the Legends series. Uh, but somehow I just can't find myself hating this particular iteration of the rabbit characters. Uh, Obviously, I like them so much that I got all four of the statues. I unboxed them for the channel because they are that well developed. And I mean, for the most part, the rabbits are like these like uh, mentally handicapped blank <laughs> blank palettes of characters. Yeah, pretty much. Yet they found a way to infuse these these uh, these palette characters with character themselves, like. Yeah, they, they're dressed in these weird cosplay costumes, but they don't necessarily act like the characters they're portraying. They, they act like these very skewed versions. <coughs> like, obviously, Rabbit Peach doesn't really take very many cues from uh, Peach herself. Uh, Peach is not a character we could ever say was arrogant uh, in any way, shape, or form. Regal, maybe, but never arrogant. Uh, but Rabbit Peach is totally self-obsessed to the point where she's taking selfies, even at her detriment. It, it gets her butt kicked a few, you know, to take a, a selfie early on in the game. 
Oh yeah, that's great. Uh, Rabbit Mario is full of uh, braggadocio. He is, you know, he is not like Mario. Mario is more of like the humble everyman who does whatever he needs to do. While he's aware of the hero status, he never ever really utilizes like the hero status to, for any personal gain. Whereas Rabbit Mario is very braggy about the fact that he himself is a hero, and I think, I think that really plays really well off of, you know, Mario's actual subtlety of of his hero status. I really like this game, and I would be open to Ubisoft and Davide Soliani and, and the teams at Ubisoft Paris and Ubisoft Milan making... Obviously, I'm, I'm okay with the DLC. I'd be even more okay if they decided that they wanted to make a full-on sequel to this game and, and turn that up to, you know, 11. JB, final thoughts on the game, brother? Uh, just like everyone else, this game took me by surprise. When they first announced it, I I was just like like again I keep saying I go I say the same thing I thought it was a mobile game and they announced it as a full on title for the Switch and I was like okay I guess and then they showed what the game was actually going to entail and I was like eh and then I begrudgingly got it and I was like well this will be a fun playthrough I guess I can just trade it in now it's more of a I don't know if I want to trade it in oh, to me like, it's towards a anything game. else it's like a good piece to have in a collection now. Oh yeah, the way it's, it's a keeper. Been, it is a keeper because I mean, there's there is replay, there's replayability. There's a lot of stuff to find, which is interesting. Like I think that's stuck from like the rare. Like maybe Kirk was like, "Hey, so rare like to do collectibles? Maybe you should do that." So I find I'm gonna find myself replaying this game to get all the like, the, like the music tracks, all the um, all the weapons all the models, and try to get perfect on everything to see if there's anything that happens with that. So, like, I'm very happy with this game. I am pleasantly surprised. I kick myself in the butt daily thinking about how much I hated this game and the thought of it. Yeah, I think I think the whole in the video game industry, fans, you know, developers and uh, reviewers alike, think this game teaches us that from now on we just need to let a game come out before yeah. we before we levy any criticisms at it. Uh, it kind of leads me to a story, uh, just because I've been following this game a lot in preparation for this episode, is, is that Davide Soliani said that all the negative backlash that him and his team heard about the game really hindered those last few weeks of development. It made it hard for them to get excited about a project that you know they loved doing. And uh, obviously... Everybody's opinion of it turned around after E3. Uh, what it had forty-seven different nominations uh, at E3. That's a lot. Um, but I think from this point, I'm just gonna let a game come out before I levy any criticisms against it, simply because this game has been an absolute joy to play. It really has. From the moment I booted it up, it has been fantastic and. It, you know, it shut me up, you know, and I credit to Davide Soliani and the team at Ubisoft Paris at Ubisoft Milan for doing what they did. They they collectively told the world to shut up and play yeah. our game. Essentially, they're just like, no, we got something good. We're going to release it. You're going to love it. We said, no, we're not. We got it. Okay, okay, shit. We love this game. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I don't think anybody has ever been more deserving of a thank you than that team. So yeah, from here at the Nintendo Power Zone, guys, uh, Davide Sol Soliani, uh, Ubisoft Paris, Ubisoft Milan, we're sorry. 
I'm oh, sorry. Your game is amazing. Please give it again. <laughs> uh, yeah, but guys, that's gonna wrap it up. We uh, we really hope you liked this conversation. We hope you enjoyed this two year celebration as a whole. Uh, like I said, personally, this episode and the episode the the uh, the uh, the addendum episode that's going to be coming out with the interviews with Mario After Party, KC uh, from the Switchcast, and the Nintendo Power Couple. This has been my favorite moment as a podcaster. Straight up. I got to talk about a really good game in Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. I got to talk with these you know, three awesome gentlemen with me here today. I got to speak to an amazing podcaster in KC, an amazing YouTube couple. And then uh, the Nintendo Power Couple. And I got to hang out with my best friend, uh, Mario After Party, on this show again. This has been the highest moment of my podcasting career. And I don't know how we're going to do better next year for the third year anniversary. But I guess I got a whole year to start playing that out. So, so guys, from here at the Nintendo Power Zone, happy anniversary. Happy two year anniversary. Uh, you already know you can hit us up on all these social media links. You can hit me up on Twitter at Nice1983. Uh, you can email me at nice193 at gmail.com. Hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Nintendo Power Zone. You can cast the show right here on YouTube, youtube.com slash Nintendo Power Zone. Uh, guys, hit them up with your social media links and let's slide out. All right, this is Jaden Winsong. You hit me up at Twitter at Jaden Winsong. Uh, I'm also on Twitch. Uh, same thing, Jaden Winsong. I've got a, a YouTube that I'm setting up as well. Um, also, in the links, there should be a NPZ Discord channel that we want to invite y'all into as well. So, uh, look for that, too. Absolutely. JB, right. <clears throat> So, you guys can find me at jbrilliant at uh, Twitter as well and uh, Facebook. I have a link there. I'm also going to be on Twitch tonight streaming my continued playthrough of Mario Rabbids Battle Kingdom. So, look forward to that. All right, guys. Well... Like I said, thank you guys for being here for this two-year anniversary celebration. Brendan, thank you for popping on and, and giving us your insights on what it meant to be here for our two-year anniversary. Uh, that's going to be it from us. So, guys, let me know. Stay fresh, and we'll catch you next month, all right? Deuces. <laughs>